The Athletic. It's not Julian Nagelsmann, Brendan Rodgers or Roberto Martinez. It's not Scott Parker or Graham Potter. It's not Ralph Hasenhutl, Ralph Ragnick or Hansi Flick. It's not Eric Ten Hag. It's not Mauricio Pochettino. It's not Antonio Conte. It's not Paolo Fonseca, Gennaro Gattuso or Julen Lopetegui. Nuno Espirito Santo, formerly of Valencia, Porto and Wolverhampton Wanderers, will be the new Tottenham head coach. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the View from the Lane podcast. My name is Jack Pitbrook. I'm joined, as always, by James Moore and by returning guest, Charlie Eccleshare. Charlie, you must be delighted to be back. I am, yeah. I'm pleased to be back. Good first week under my belt. I was pleased I was there for the manager unveiling. I should, you know, tempt to say, if, if someone had told me that on April the 19th or whenever it was, I would have... Uh, been very surprised but I always think with those if someone had told me that it would just be so weird for someone to tell me something that niche that I probably would believe them seeing as that those things seem to always come to pass uh, but yeah uh, pleased to be back and pleased that finally the uh, the head coach search is over. James it's a big relief isn't it? In a way yeah I mean I've got to be honest I wasn't I didn't really envisage a situation where we didn't have a manager for the new season <laughs> um, and I'd be left with some kind of I don't know, like sort of Home Alone style players managing themselves situation. But yeah, it is a relief to have someone who we know can sort of handle the Premier League. And whatever you say about the well, the style of football that Wolves played under Nuno, until that final season where I think there were extenuating circumstances, they were certainly competitive. So, you know, I think we said before, Actually, this may have been on a podcast that we recorded a couple of weeks ago that I think you're about to talk about in a minute. Pochettino at Southampton was the kind of guy who took a club from outside the elite group to the very cusp of that group and would regularly beat those teams. And that is, albeit with a very different style of football, what Nuno did at Wolves in those first two seasons that Wolves were back in the Premier League. So uh, when you look at it like that, I mean, I suppose there is a similarity. That's good. Yeah, that's a good comparison. It's uh, but J- James is right. It is nice to have... It's nice to have someone definitely in the chair. Like so, basically, about three weeks ago, lit, kind of almost literally, as Tottenham were deciding that Palat Fonseca was actually not the man for them, uh, me, James, and James Horncastle recorded a big like welcome Fonseca podcast, which of course will now never see the light of day. So, um, well, I think there will there'll be like bootleg versions going for thousands <laughs> yeah. online that you know somehow gets leaked. But yeah. I do I do think just to build it, like I was talking to Tim Spears, who's our Wolves correspondent, who who wrote. A really good piece, I think, on on Nuno. This was actually just before Spurs appointed him, but it was kind of in response to the almost backlash. Kind of saying, you know, how positive he bit he was at Wolves for those first two Premier League seasons and before that, getting them in. And I and I, I think it'd be really interesting, like if you if he was being appointed last year, so with without last season having happened, whether there would be more of that Pochettino feel of like here's an upwardy mobile guy who who did take a team on the brink of uh, you know that big six. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird. I, I think my general thoughts on Nuno, and I think Charlie, this is something which you you did a good piece on this last week. It's like he's a really good manager. Like he's clearly done very well at Wolves. And but I think obviously there's a big lack of enthusiasm, or maybe that's unfair. There's a bit of a lack of enthusiasm about his appointment at Tottenham, simply because you know he's coming after ten weeks of managerial search in which they've spoken to 
10, more than 10 other people. And also during which, when Nuno initially left Wolves at the end of May, Tottenham ruled him out, saying that his style of football wasn't the right style of football for the club. Uh, obviously, an awful lot has changed since then. Paratici's come in and now Nuno's the guy. So... But I don't think, like, none of that's really Nuno's fault. No, exactly. And the fact that he was, as you say, they decided he wasn't for them. And he was available for, like, the majority of this search. So, obviously, if they wanted him, they could have had him. But one of the big things as well was Levy talking about, um, in his programme notes before the Villa game uh, in May at the end of the season, about, you know, wanting free-flowing, attacking football, Spurs DNA, should love Chaz and Dave, and all of this sort of stuff. And you're like, well that's then just so at odds with Nuno, but that's not really his fault. You know, he's never claimed to be that. It was kind of, it just felt like a bit of a, a miss, a miss selling. Um, and I think like James says, he is, he's maybe not quite the um, kind of dour conservative manager that some have painted him as. I think he's, he's more of a pragmatist, um, you know, and Mourinho is often described as a pragmatist, which I don't think is fair. Mourinho is, he, he has a philosophy. He believes the way to play basically whoever you have is, you know, without the focus on without the ball and let them make mistakes. I think Nuno is more malleable than that. So maybe we'll see with, you know, different players, better quality of players than what he had at Wolves. He might um, approach things a bit differently. James, have you, what do you reckon about his time at Wolves and how, how relevant the lessons or the principles that he put into place there are. Do you think we might see us, you know, do you think he's committed to 3 4 3? Do you think we'll see something a bit different given he's got better attacking players at Spurs, arguably? I mean, they had good attacking players at Wolves. I mean, you know, obviously losing Jimenez for what, like kind of two thirds, three quarters of last season. They were sick when he got injured, by the way. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that had massively impeded them. I mean, you can't ignore that. And in fact, they came off the back of a ludicrous season the season before. I mean, they won their squad wasn't big and that was sort of by design really because one of the things you regularly hear about Nuno is he wants a, a smaller group of players to work with which actually again is, a, is another thing you could say was uh, something he had in common with Pochettino so yeah they were, they were massively hindered by that and, and you know as Charlie says you know that he was playing the style of football that suited the players he had at that club and uh, until last season or the second half or the last two thirds of last season that was working incredibly well for them so you know I, I, I don't think it's definite that he'll come in and I'd be very surprised if he tried to play the same sort of football that Mourinho reverted to at around a similar stage last season, November, December. I think he might try and, maybe not quite swashbuckling football, but I think he might try and put Spurs on the front foot a little bit more. I mean, I don't think, you know, a manager who's picking players like Adama Traore on a regular basis, I don't think you can necessarily accuse of being like hideously reserved in in the way he's asking his team to approach a game because he's you know Traore is a guy who is constantly taking risks with the ball right he, was, he beats more players than anyone else in the Premier League I think isn't he statistically I think that's the case so like if you have a player like that in, the, in your team you're kind of always offering the opposition the, the possibility of getting the ball back so yeah I'll be interested to see the way they approach it I do I, I guess I would expect him to probably play with the three at the back which then begs the question whether Matt Doherty is going to get is going to get his second chance at Spurs. It just seems completely logical that he would that he would sort of have him in mind to like start the season, right? Because he was one of the better performers in that Wolves, or certainly among the better performers in that Wolves team in the, in those first two seasons in the Premier League and the promotion season. Um, Especially given that Spurs have told Aurier to go and find a new club. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and look, if you look at it, and you know, and I think we can we can all probably be fairly certain that Spurs aren't going to go out and spend hundreds of millions of pounds this summer. If you're looking at that squad and you're thinking, well, I need to sign four players. If you can rule out having to sign a right back because you've got 
or a right wing back, I should say, because you've got a player you know and trust and back yourself to get the best out of, then surely you're going to do that. And, you know, you look at the left, and you've got Reguilón and Sessegnon. I don't know who the other right wing back would be from the squad. I guess maybe that would be a position you have to try and find someone else, I guess, maybe. What, if they, if they, if they do Solorio, you mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, but also on that, like, well, a couple of things. Doherty, he spoke really interestingly before one of the Europa League group games last season. I asked him about, like, the difference between playing right back and right wing back. And he said it was a huge, it was a huge readjustment that he was doing. I think we maybe underestimate that. We think of them as kind of interchangeable positions, but it is quite a specialist role. And obviously, he'd been doing that at Wolves for the last few years and really excelling there um, and was then having to play as more of an orthodox fullback under Jose Mourinho. And I think he did struggle. And I think maybe that was a slightly underrated part of his struggle. So it'll be interesting then to see if Spurs do go to a three, which is something James and I have talked about. It does... It does seem to make se- it, it, it makes sense for quite a few of their players, so uh, it'll be interesting if they do that. And the other thing was just generally, I wrote a piece this morning on kind of how the Spurs players feel about this because we've heard kind of lots of other groups, fans, the board, etc., but the players not heard that much from. And I think they've had some pretty positive impressions. You know, as soon as the manager gets appointed, they speak to their peers and people they know. Okay, what what, what do we know about Nuno? Um, and they've heard positive things about the way he coaches players properly and improves them gives young players a chance and that coaching thing is really important by the way because this is something Jack you've reported on a lot that the players felt that they weren't really being coached uh, all that well or with that much focus individually certainly by Mourinho and that's something that even predates the second half of last season I remember you know before I went off in January that was you know something you'd heard certainly when he first came that people were a little bit surprised by so that's potentially a big difference between the two. You know, we've heard a lot about the similarities that Nuno's this kind of Jose disciple. Um, you know, he was coached uh, by Mourinho as a player at Porto. So it's quite interesting. There are quite a few significant differences, I think, as well. Yeah, that was something that even right from the start of the process, even before the famous Daniel Levy programme notes against Aston Villa, um, like one of the number one priorities. Infamous now, they surely. Are, yeah, yeah they, they, they really infamous, are. Yeah. Um, the notorious program. <laughs> one of the big, big priorities internally for Tottenham when it came to making this appointment was someone who improves players in the training ground. Uh, you know, someone getting back to that Pochettino style of coaching where players are improved. You're rather, than, and it's not just a case of what's the plan for this game, what's the plan plan for the next game, what's the plan for the game after that which is basically what it became under Jose. Um, so if Nuno, you know, I'd, I'd be lying if I said I knew much about what Nuno is like as a coach, but if he can do that, then he's ticking one of Spurs' biggest boxes already. So uh, regardless of what, you know, we might think about style of play or whatever. Should just should just plug, sorry, Jack, on that. Um, Tim, Tim Spears is really good piece on what it's like to play for Nuno. Um, I'd really recommend that because that does give a sense of kind of how he operates, um, his approachability or sometimes um, lack thereof and also like his tactical approach and flexibility. Uh, he's, he's a really interesting guy, I think, Nuno, actually. Like he, he's someone who he doesn't particularly enjoy talking to the media. Can't think why. Um, but behind closed doors apparently is very um, kind of loves talking about the game and, and how he sees it and this sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, Tim Speaks really gives a sense of kind of like what it's like to actually play for yeah, him. Tim knows more about this this than anyone. Uh, James, can you just sum up, are you underwhelmed by Nuno or is it kind of get behind the new manager positivity or what? can you just describe what the atmosphere is at the moment? It kind of feels like it's a bit of both. I mean, it is hard not to feel a little bit underwhelmed by it, having kind of had all these other incredible options 
like, like wafted under our noses. You know, I mean, particularly Conte and Pochettino. Obviously, like Pochettino is in a massive uh, emotional p- appeal there, and Conte, purely in sort of statistical terms, probably one of the most or the most successful manager in European football or European club football in the last what, decade or slightly shorter. So, you know, uh, w- once you've kind of heard those managers are realistic options. Or, or sort of at least options that were being discussed at the club at, um, at a higher level, then, yeah, it, it is a little bit underwhelming when you end up with a guy who, you know, a caveat of what we said before, but who's just finished, what, 13th or whatever with Wolves in the previous season and then been effectively sacked at the end of the season. So, yeah, it is, uh, it is a little bit underwhelming in that context. But like, like you say, you know, if it had been... You know, if he had come in off the back of Pochettino, maybe, you know, that might have felt a bit odd, but I think it, I don't think it would have felt underwhelming necessarily. It would have felt a bit different. But like you say, it would have felt like it was a bit more like they had appointed like an up-and-coming manager rather than one who was coming off the back of his worst season in like four years at the club he was at. Or even if they'd appointed him on May 24th, like the day after the season finished, you might not necessarily agree with it, but you'd be like, OK, fair enough, this is clearly the guy... Um, that the club wants rather than having this like psychodrama play out in public where you know it's pretty clear he wasn't first choice I mean I think I, t- I think to be honest the big the biggest issue that fans seem to have with this appointment is George Mendes mm. and I think we can say fairly definitively that Mendes played quite a big role in uh, the recruitment at Wolves over the last four or five years and I would say probably for the most part they felt the benefit of that rather than any kind of negative uh, effect given you know some of the players that ended up playing there particularly like you know if you think of Neves playing for them in the championship which is absolutely ludicrous you know I, I don't think they would have had too many complaints about that up to that point whether or not Spurs are going to be signing that kind of player on the basis of that relationship remains to be seen but it is certainly the uh, a cause for scepticism at the moment because I don't think you know, that that should be the sole basis of, uh, of Tottenham's recruitment policy. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, I think when you break down the Spurs managerial process that led to the appointment of of Nuno last week, you can basically break it down into two separate halves, and that was... Before Paratici came in at the start of, effectively at the start of, end of May, start of June. And then when Paratici came in, you know, there was the, what you might as well call the Steve Hitchin phase and then the Paratici phase of the process. And so Nuno is very much Paratici's appointment, just as um, Gattuso would have been. And I think Fonseca arguably would have been and Conte would have been. And as much as the managerial process is this has been the story over the last few weeks, we should not lose sight of the fact that Tottenham have undergone a very big restructure as part of this. You know, Paratici has been brought in as managing director, comma, football, uh, which is actually quite difficult to say and even harder to write because it looks like you just don't know how to construct a sentence. But uh, Paratici, you know, it's a huge change for Spurs. You know, Tottenham haven't had a Paratici-type figure I guess arguably you could say Baldini or or, or Comley or Arneson, but Paratici's 
Yeah, Prachi's been given a lot of power, you know, to oversee the football side. So it's a big change from from how Spurs have been run for the last sort of eight or so years. And he's going to be a hugely influential figure over the course of the next few seasons at the club, uh, given how much power has been invested in him by Levy. And, you know, we can argue about whether or not we think he's doing a good job, but it's what is unarguable is that this is a big, a big, big, big change for Tottenham, which will have ramifications long beyond, you know, the managerial tenure of Nuno. Um, but Charlie, you've just written about Paratici. Uh What's your general sense of the man's, his skills, his reputation and what he's going to do at Spurs? I mean, broadly positive, speaking to people about him and his time at Juve, um, certainly in those early years, because it's easy to forget. We think of Juve now as like, well, so what? What's doing a good job at Juve? They win the league every year. It's uncompetitive, etc., etc. But when he came in, Juve were off the back of a seventh place finish. Uh, they'd missed out in the Champions League many times in the previous few years. There had been Calciopoli. They weren't what they are now. They were then, I'd say, more like how we view, say, an AC Milan now, a kind of sleeping giant who kind of trade off former glories. And he was really important in turning that round, made some crucial hires like Conte. I mean, that and Conte, again, was unproven at the time free signings like Pogba obviously then sold for a huge profit Pirlo uh, and even in the last few years you know he started spending a lot more money obviously Cristiano Ronaldo was the kind of headline signing from his time but really what he's remembered for more is those frees or signing players like Tevez for 7 million or Vidal for about 12 you know players that then went on to achieve great things um, I mentioned there Ronaldo and Mendes I mean this is something that fans are concerned about that they feel that the fact that he was putting forward Gattuso and then has hired Nuno is because of a coziness with uh, Jorge Mendes the sense I get is that he you know they clearly have a good relationship um, and have done since the Ronaldo signing should be should be said they only signed two Mendes clients while he was at Juve and one was Cancelo who they then sold for a huge profit so you know I, I don't think that's a kind of Oh, you only did it because of Mendes signing. So I, I think it's important to have a, a bit of that balance. Um, but he's he's a pragmatist, a bit like you know I was talking about Nuno before. He is someone who will deal uh, with whoever to kind of you know get the deal that he wants for his club. Incredibly dedicated. So there's legendary stories of him kind of flying across the world, desperately trying to track down players, and then being you know raging if he loses out on a kind of Ecuadorian under 15s player and this sort of thing. One thing that was interesting was that he... It said that his time when he was best at Juve was when he was working alongside um, Beppe Marotta, who is now into Milan. And Marotta was in a kind of CEO role, which meant Paratici could focus almost exclusively on the recruitment side, you know, the football side, not have to worry too much about the business side. And when Marotta went, it was seen that he kind of struggled a bit with the greater responsibility. So it would just be really interesting to see how that dynamic plays out with Tottenham, how much he will just have autonomy on the football side, how much he can leave the other things, you know, delegate to other people. And what people I'm speaking to, you know, people who deal with Tottenham are fascinated by is what does this mean for Levy on the football side? You know, they've become so used to Levy being so hands-on, being in lots of meetings about things like contract renewals. Now, is he going to be there or is it just going to be Paratici? And I think something that fans have wanted for a long time is for Levy to cede control of the football side because the perception is that's not his expertise. And that's the perception also of some people with you know inside knowledge of these sorts of things. So be really interesting to see how that plays out. And, you know, so much of this, the success of someone like Paratici is the chemistry with the club's hierarchy 
obviously hasn't got off to the best start with the managerial search, which we all know how that played out. But I mean, just one thing I do find funny as well is that, you know, for so long it was people wanted a director of football because they did have this contacts book and they knew people from other leagues. But then when Paratici's come in, it's sort of like, well, all he's done is kind of speaking to super agents and, you know, Serie A and that sort of thing. It's like, well, that is kind of what he knows and that is why he's been brought in. So, yeah, I, I think it's a, a, certainly an interesting appointment. James, you look a bit sceptical. you putting a sceptical face. No, I, I know, it's just that Charlie's talked for so long that I now can't take the piss out of him for the way he said Jorge. <laughs> um, You've just been sitting on that for like seven minutes. <laughs> basically, I was like, I'm going to yeah. jump in now, I'm going to jump in now. Uh, it just reminded me of the, the pronunciation of Paratici, which uh, it isn't as I expected, which is, of course, Paratici. And I just thought it's just worth mentioning that now that we are pronouncing it right. This is how James Horncastle told us to pronounce it. And in the in the spiked podcast that we recorded a few weeks ago, there was an incredible moment where, where James pulled me up on my pronunciation of Paratici. So uh, unfortunately for him, the emphasis is on rat, I guess, which I, I don't know. Maybe if things don't work out, maybe something we come back to. Um, but yeah, Paratici. Castle may have been stitching us up, but hopefully not. Oh, he's a serious journalist. James, are you, you a bit sceptical of Paratici still? You're pulling a face. A little bit, yeah. I mean, it's not. It, it hasn't been. It has been what I think you might call an inauspicious start. Yeah, I've not been especially convinced by uh, the the play to bring in Gattuso, who you know, to be fair, which maybe more than he deserves, did a reasonably good job, at, or actually a good job at Napoli until the very end, and I think a pretty good job at Milan as well. But yeah, the uh, issues <laughs> that he had. Uh, in the background of the not too distant past really I think are things that maybe should have uh, been at the forefront of minds rather than the back when they were having those initial conversations with him but equally what I would say and maybe this is maybe this sounds like I'm defending Paratici on this but Paratici is coming from a culture in Italy in which the political correctness of managers is not really as much of an issue as it is in the UK and I imagine that Paratici is probably quite surprised that he could, you know, that a candidate who he would try and appoint for this managerial job should collapse basically because of statements he's made. And I'm, I'm certainly not saying that, I'm not saying that Paratici is, is right and that Gattuso is right and that the fans are wrong. You know, fa- I think fans are totally, were entitled and right to take the stance they took. And I think the club was right to listen to them. But I guess it's just a kind of culture clash thing, really. Like Paratici just wouldn't necessarily expect this to be an issue when he was doing when he was considering who he wanted as manager yeah I mean to me it feels like quite a big misstep when you you know before he'd actually technically even started the job Um, yeah it certainly put him on the back foot I think in the eyes of the fans so we'll kind of have to see how we go and you know obviously he's kind of under pressure from the off now and as we know it's a little bit of a squad rebuild or quite a big squad rebuild that needs to be needs to be undertaken over this summer and there's going to be quite a lot of pressure on him now to kind of get his feet under the table immediately and do a few good deals. And the way fans feel about him, I guess, could be quite different by um, when does the transfer window close at the start of the season or September, uh, whenever it is. Who knows? We're only journalists, who cares? So, yeah, if he's done a few deals, then he gets in a couple of really good centre-backs that are going to improve the team, someone else in midfield, you know, a creative player who's going to get people excited, then fine. I think people will start... Unfortunately, people will kind of forget that issue, which obviously should be way more important than how good the football team is really. 
So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because I, I kind of feel like, to be honest, if, if they don't start the season well, he's going to be under huge pressure really quickly. And, and my honest feeling, and I know PSG have subsequently gone out and signed some really good players uh, since all that Pochettino stuff was kicking off, but if PSG don't start well, I think Poch is going to be under massive pressure there. And I don't find it impossible to envisage him getting pinned by PSG in like November and then suddenly if Pochettino's available then like Nuno is under huge pressure and then if that all changes then Baratti's going to be under huge pressure as well so yeah it's incredibly un- it's incredibly unfair it is incredibly unfair but that is going to be the way it's going to be now that's kind of what Nuno has unfortunately had to take on because uh, you know there's all this scepticism abound and not just about him but about the higher ups at the club as well because he's the manager of the football team and he's going to be the one there on the touchline every week he's basically going to bear the brunt of it so he needs to be prepared for that and it is unfortunate but yeah I can see it if they don't start well I can see it being quite a sort of tumultuous first few months of the season unlike Spurs normally but like obviously Paratici's appointed Nuno I can see and Nuno needs to hit the ground running etc but when we're talking about signings, like Poch talked about this, that most signings need a year or two to settle in. So I think it would be pretty premature to be judging even that first window, you know, off the back of yeah, a few months. You know how football fans yeah, work, though, I right? I mean, that's just going to be know, like, it's just, if, so- if someone turns up yeah. and doesn't play well in the first game, I'll be on the next podcast saying they're shit and Serie A's a rubbish league. Again. Especially like sporting directors, directors of football, it's one of the most emotive jobs because one of the areas fans are most engaged in and care most about is recruitment and signings. So it's such an easy kind of stick to beat these guys with. I'd recommend at this point, Michael Cox wrote such a good article earlier in the year about kind of how we view um, talent spotters, like directors of football, sporting directors, and how kind of quick we are to make judgments on them as either kind of the absolute guru or a complete fraud. Um, when actually, well, I mean, look if you look at if you look at Comley at Spurs, right at the time he got sacked, like everyone thought he was an absolute clown, yeah. and he'd had an absolute stinker in the transfer market. And you know, you wait six months and you look at Gareth Bale and Luka exactly. Modric and think, oh, actually, yeah, they're actually quite good. Jordan Henderson at Liverpool. Yeah, it's. Yeah, um, yeah. You're right that the the transfer window is now huge for Paratici. And we've heard a lot about how, um, you know, what a good deal maker he is and he's a great negotiator and very well connected and everything. But I suppose this is going to be one of the big challenges now. Is that it's not like, you know, you're not buying Cristiano Ronaldo for 80 million or getting Aaron Ramsey in on 300k a week or anything like that. You're having to play with much smaller sums. I suppose they don't really have any money. You know, they've got the one fourth money and then other money that they might be able to bring in from sales over the course of this summer. But frankly, it remains to be seen how much money they can actually generate. And um, this is reportedly one of Antonio Conte's concerns when he was speaking to the club was it's not confident that they can generate as much money as they need to spend. So Paratici is going to have to be very clever. And uh, I I don't know whether that will mean we end up seeing free transfers or loans or you know cheap whether it's old players coming to the end of their contracts or taking punts on younger players or but also but this is you touched on it there Jack one of the big things for him is not is not so much even the players he brings in it's being able to shift a lot of these players and that and that's one of the areas where Tottenham have been hit really hard by the pandemic because they had a lot of saleable assets you know if you were talking a couple of years ago all of a sudden now you're thinking, can we even get fees for a lot of these players? Um, and as much as you know, fans don't like being in, you know, having good relations with Jorge Mendes, uh, Raiola and the rest, if they can help you shift some of that dead wood, then I think I don't think, you know, supporters will have too much of a problem with that. That's gonna be one of the biggest things for him uh, in this window. And I do and I am interested to see if he does make those free 
you know, because that's the thing, free transfers, like, it's a pun, but if you get it right, it, it, it can pay off massively. You know, you look at someone like Cavani last season, who I think at the time everyone was saying like, oh God, Cavani, classic, you know, just sign an overhill player who's in it for the money, et cetera, et cetera. They can work out really well. And and being the one who signs him or a Pirlo, as Paratici did, lots of other players, um, you know, it's a gamble, but I wonder if they, if we will see a bit of that. I mean, so have they probably... I mean, maybe missed the boat on that now. Like, maybe. I feel like free transfers normally yeah, that's maybe. all lined up before. I mean, I guess technically Messi is uh, <laughs> yeah. un- unattached. So uh, maybe there's a deal to be done. I wouldn't get in the team, would he? <laughs> Depends if Bale stays. But I think you're right. I think the other... I, you are right that selling players this summer is going to be really hard. Like, it's not a... Um, you know, no, no one has any money. It's not just Spurs. So the... And on top of that, I think sometimes I think in the past Tottenham's ability to sell players has sometimes been slightly hampered by Daniel Levy's expectations of value for these players. So you know Daniel Levy is very good when it comes to selling. You know Cole Walker to City, Berbatov to Man United, Bale to Real Madrid. He's not so good at selling lots of, frankly, average squad players uh, because he he wants good money for them. And sometimes I think you just got to uh, cut a deal. Um, so yeah this is a really big question going into the summer because for, to be honest I don't think there's many players in that Tottenham squad who are unsellable but whether or not you can actually generate money for them is a different question um, quickly on that actually Charlie you wrote about uh, Toby Alderweireld he wants out of Tottenham you know he's obviously been there a long time now and wants to change his scene do you have any expectations on where he might go how much he might cost that sort of thing well I mean there's interest in him uh, from Royal Antwerp and we know that Antwerp is you know, where uh, out of our odds from uh, it's a very special important place to him and they do have a wealthy owner it's just a question of could they really afford him and they have just bought uh, Bjorn Engels as well um, to play in that position so I don't know that one will be difficult there's interest in Spain and Italy as well but he's a really good example because he's the problem Spurs have is that he's on a pretty bumper contract and he's 32 he's got two years left I can't see them getting a big fee for him now uh, at that age um, with zero sell-on value. So I think if they want to get his wages off the books, which you know would would be a pretty sizable bonus for them, I think they'd have to accept that they wouldn't. They'd barely get a fee for him, um, which shows how much the market's changed because he's obviously still a very very good uh, central defender. He's also a classic example, Toby, of um, a player who Pochettino wanted to sell. And the club didn't mm. sell him at the right time, and now they're going to lose him for nothing. You know, um, they yeah. could have obviously. It kind of it's slightly disputed how much Man United wanted him in the summer of 2018. I think Mourinho want, Mourinho wanted him. Edward he, he Edward did. didn't. Yeah, um, exactly. But if Man United had come in for him, or if Tottenham had managed to do a deal with United, then Pochettino would have got out a player he wanted to get out. Spurs would have had money. They could have invested it in a newer centre back or a different position. And Spurs would have moved on. You know, another example for Danny Rose. You know, Chelsea were in for him summer 2017, 55 million quid. Uh, four years later, he's left Spurs for free, having barely played for the last two years. So again, it's you know Tottenham by failing to do the deal when the player was good, so have ended up losing ended up losing the player for nothing. So I'm afraid a lot of those a lot of those assets have uh, lost all their value. Uh, over the last few years, yeah, I mean ro- that back four, Rose Vertonghen and Alderweireld, not n- nothing, nothing will be recouped. Certainly for the first two, and probably not for Alderweireld. Obviously, Walker, they did get a good fee. Um, 
when he kind of forced the issue. And, and as you say, there there is a big lesson yeah. there. And that was always really, I, I think, Pochettino's biggest issue with Levy is it's not so much, it's not just to do with Levy didn't sign the players Pochettino wanted him to sign. It's that Levy didn't sell the players that Pochettino wanted him to sell. Like, Pochettino wanted wanted a big fire sale to get rid of all the players who he thought had lost their edge. Levy didn't sell the players, and so Pochettino had to go to work again with, with the same squad year after year. Anyway. Well, how many how sorry. many takes have aged better than Poch's painful rebuild <laughs> on the eve of the Champions League final? I mean, that, you hear that quoted, like, on a weekly basis, and it was so spot on. And I just wonder how long it will continue to be relevant you know we're still talking about it two years yeah. on and two um, managers on it'll be yeah until the next until yeah. Tottenham's next European Cup final. <laughs> yeah and two managers on you know Nuno is two or well, three if you count Mason yeah uh the managers keep on changing and yet the the issues remain the same so I suppose at the end of this process now after 10 weeks the big question really is where are Tottenham? What are Tottenham trying to be? And how are they How are they doing in that? You know, the Pochettino appointment was very much a an appointment of a club that was trying to be clever and break into the elite and utilise a kind of promising young manager with fresh ideas. The Mourinho appointment was very much an appointment of a club that saw itself as being part of elite. It was a kind of statement appointment, like we are a big club now, we're going to get the most decorated manager in the game, we're going to put him on Amazon, we're going to get everyone into our new stadium, all, all that sort of thing. So the Mourinho appointment was a very an appointment from a completely different direction from the Pochettino appointment. Where does Nuno sit in this, James? Is he a, he's not quite he's not he's not an appointment that a big club makes, but he's not exactly like new fresh energy either. Yeah, it, it does kind of feel like a sort of attempt to straddle a few different uh I don't know. What's the end of that metaphor? I don't know. Um, <laughs> straddle a few different. Uh, no, do you no straddle idea, like actually. a style? Do you straddle? I don't know. Um, horse. Yeah, but it's not, it's, yeah. Not, it's only one horse. That, the club is a horse, right? Tottenham Hotspur is a horse. That's the whatever. Well, unless the manager is. No, <laughs> but he's straddling. He's the straddling. Oh, I think then the club was straddling. Oh yeah, they are. That's okay. true. But then the club wouldn't straddle the manager. Surely the manager straddles the. <laughs> That's what, a bit weird. Matter. Um, yeah. Yeah, it feels like an unhappy, <laughs> unhappy compromise between a few different things. Um, you know, he's a in Premier League terms a relatively high-profile manager. Um, yeah, he's not. He's not the box office superstar that they got in Mourinho. And you know, I think we said this a few times immediately after that appointment that without the work of Pochettino, Tottenham couldn't have appointed a manager like Mourinho. And, you know, they tried to do it several times and were unable to do so. And it was only because Pochettino came in and took them up two or three levels that they were able to do that. Uh, this appointment is probably a signal of the regression in the... Well, let, let's not say the two years or the 18 months since Pochettino left. It's probably the last three years, maybe. Yeah, that they've gone back in for uh, to, to call him a mid-table Premier League manager is probably a little bit harsh, but I mean he's sort of upper mid-table, isn't he? So yeah, it it, it does so it signals a, a regression of sorts, doesn't it? I mean, I, it's certainly not, you know. I mean, we got pretty <laughs> you got pretty clear evidence that they were unable to bring in a elite manager because they've tried to do it and failed. So, I mean, that that's pretty clear. So yeah, it's not massively inspiring. To be honest, it does kind of feel like, what's he on a two-year contract? I mean, it does kind of feel like it's sort of sticking a, you know, sticking a sticking plaster on it and seeing if it heals over itself. Uh, you know, it does kind of feel like, yeah, yeah you're kicking the, kicking the ball down the road a little bit. It's, you know, 
it doesn't necessarily convince me that the, 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 that painful rebuild is going to start now. It makes me think we're just delaying the painful rebuild, which uh, when you factor in the Harry Kane situation, I think is incredibly annoying because I, I don't really see that anything that's happened this summer is going to convince him <laughs> that he should be staying at Spurs. And sure, we may think, well, he's under contract for another three years, so he can't. there's nothing he can do about it, which is obviously true. But I think the best solution for Spurs would have been to get in a manager who can get in Harry Kane's head and convince him this club is going to go forward again and uh, and that he should stick around and try and be part of it. And look, maybe Nuno will be that, but it just, I, I don't, I'm just slightly sceptical about that. The interesting thing with that is that Mourinho did do a really good job with Harry Kane for all for all that, you know... It's just everybody else that's <laughs> yeah, a problem. Yeah, he, but like, you know, if, if one of his... I'm sure in the, like, what's in Jose Mourinho's in-tray articles in November 2019, you know, would have been, like, convince Kane to stay and that he can go to the next level. And he, he sort of did that, to be fair, at least to take the next level bit. But just on that as well, it's interesting because um, in the piece I've done today on what the players think couple of things I've heard is that it really wasn't great a great look for the players to see that all these managers were turning the club down and that it seemed like the club didn't have a great plan because you know if you're a player you're kind of like great this you know this isn't really a particularly desirable destination it seems for uh, elite managers you know this isn't a group that elite managers particularly want to work with and I think that is quite damaging to kind of their sense of self-esteem and this sense of where where Tottenham are yeah. right now. I mean, it, it yeah, like, like I say, it doesn't fill you with huge optimism for the new season. But I think we kind of said towards the end of last season that actually there's a lot of good players there. You know, and actually having watched these Euros, I mean, Hoiberg has been incredible. He's going to be absolutely knackered next season. That's going to be a big problem. Um, you know, Roden as well looked really good. I mean, for my money, probably one of the better centre halves at the competition actually. Despite, despite why I was getting absolutely battered by Denmark in the last sixteen. Sessegnon as well I mean you know yeah Sessegnon like he is said to be good at working with young players he's not a Nuno's not someone who's going to go and sort of watch the academy but he is someone who you know is happy to work and is good at working with very very talented sort of late teens early 20s so yeah there, there, there definitely is like if they you know there, there are some good raw materials there it's just a bit imbalanced and there's a lot of thinning out that needs to happen but you know we, we know that well, that's all we've got time for on this week's podcast. It's great to be back. Um, so thank you very much, Charlie, James, and producer Tom. And thank you to everyone who's been speaking to us on Twitter. And in the comments over the last few months, we've uh, we've enjoyed talking to you and we're certainly looking forward to getting back into the rhythm of covering Spurs ahead of the next season. Um, if there's anything else that you would like us to discuss or topics you'd like us to take on for the new season, please let us know. To read all of our many articles on Nuno, Paratici and the full story of Tottenham's long pursuit of a new head coach this summer, just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. We're running our best ever offer during the Euros, so you will be able to sign up to The Athletic for just £1 per month. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. The Athletic. <laughs>